0: This is David Marler, UFO researcher, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast is powered by ZenCaster. ZenCaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and joining me for this breakdown summing up the news from the last few weeks at the end of August 2022 is Daniel Zetterstrom. Dan, full name, how are we? Full name, does that mean I'm in trouble? Not yet. Uh, (laughs) But yes, Dan, um, lots to talk about, to the point we've actually got rid of some news, because over the last couple of weeks, so much has happened in the world of UFOs that some of it's not really relevant anymore, and even as we planned on recording this at the start of the week, there has been, what, two breaking kind of news stories yeah. that are worthy of, of slipping in and talking about as well. Um, I think the best place to start um, at the top, and I could have picked either or, is the the Drive Warzone zone article um which uh, the title of was video of mysterious drone swarm over navy's most advanced destroyer released and this is an incident that occurred off the coast of southern california dated april 2019 notably one of several several one of Severable? several yeah, several mm. <laughs> notably it was one of several incidents that happened then and we hear about these happening all the time daily weekly you know um so that's that's no surprise um, dated April 2019, it has a video, and it was of a drone that was spotted by a Snoopy team. And we've heard about those Snoopy teams being the teams that go on on deck during incidents and data collect, basically on something that may or may not be happening over over and where it shouldn't be, basically enemy incursions
1: yeah. potentially. And and um, apparently they're not given tripods by the shakiness of the video.
0: Yes, it's very much. I mean, it looks like someone's ran outside with a mobile phone, doesn't it? And yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk about another mobile phone video in a minute, but it's, it's got its pros and cons. So um, again, it's being labeled a drone and I see some people online unhappy with that, but I don't think it's unfair because just because we're calling it a drone doesn't mean it's still not a UFO because I mean, drones can be UFOs. It kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? That We're not saying it's not alien or non-human. It's just something we don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, precisely. You you know, we use the word drones for things that we send to other planets. You know, Mm. there's human made is the the phrase that we want to kind of watch out for. And even then, you know, if something exhibits one of the five observables or multiple of them, it just raises questions about the technology that drone is using. And even if it is a human made drone, what's the origin of the drone? You know, this goes back to the U.S. hearings where they said that a similar event happened and therefore it must be drones. But Mm. that's not necessarily a well thought out approach. Right. Because just because it's similar, you know, a light in the sky can be many different things. It doesn't have to be a drone. That's just the current kind of language that we use to talk about these things. Well, in this particular incident, there were six
0: UAPs documented, and this was received after a FOIA request, and the video was released, it was the USS Zumwalt, am I pronouncing that correctly, Zumwalt? I think
1: so, yeah, Yeah. Zumwalt, something like that. Zumwalt, yeah. Um, USS USS Z.
0: Yeah, the, US, the USS Z Destroyer. It'll be in the description anyway. Have a check of that. The video is pretty interesting in the sense that we get quite a clear capture of an object. or It seems to be one solid object with four clear lights. Yes. And I don't know whether it's the camera or not, but they seem
1: to be different colors as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, drones will have kind of... Uh object avoidance systems and they tend to have a different colored light that are on the tips of the the propellers and things like that it looks pretty straightforwardly a drone to be honest but it it does have to be noted that we're talking april 2019 and up till now we've been talking about the uh, june july event series in 2019 with the omaha and the uss russell um and i think and i certainly did uh i think a lot of people uh, are taking it as the same event series and actually you know it's not it's almost a a bit of a distraction yeah, I think it's got to be filed under interesting, but we can't say what it could be.
0: Um, People focus on the lights, and I've seen a lot of people asking, even people who maybe aren't really into the UFO subject, but have caught on to the article. You know, why are those aliens over here shining their lights and stuff? Well, it, whether it's human, non-human, whatever it may be, or something in between, the lights would probably indicate at this point that it wants to be seen but yeah. foreign adversarial technology for, for any country could be doing that just by baiting them into reaction times into anti-drone measures. Precisely. Could, yeah, we, we don't know. But like you say, I think at this point, the safe money is on some kind of man-made drone. Could be Russian, Chinese technology doing data collection. Um, But yeah, it's nothing we've not discussed on here before, but I personally am quite happy to see videos like this come out, see serious articles on it from the drive, and all we can hope is that we get more information on the back of it to say these are the reasons why it could be considered as being anomalous as such. But at the moment, I think, like you've already said, Dan, it seems to me that there's nothing to suggest otherwise that it's it's not prosaic, albeit interesting in terms of if you've got a, a deep interest now in this subject, you probably get more involved in looking at the military side of things and the technology they do and don't have and it's quite a cool thing to think of that other countries are actually, you know, trespassing on other nations' soil or, you know, in international waters and checking each other out with these really kind of high-tech spy gadgets. So yeah. I, I find that as a side quite interesting, to be honest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and we've spoken about it before as well. Our, our The data we're interested in is the outlier data. So we kind of have to be able to, f- to define drones to be able to say, okay, that's not the data we're interested in. Let's remove that from our UAP pile. Um, and then we get more robust data set. So yeah, like you said, if, if it is a drone, great, cool, solved. Uh, but it, there are still questions and it's still a good thing that drone swarms are being looked into and defended against. The The question remains why this thing wasn't knocked out of the sky. Well,
0: on more robust data sets, let's move on to Ben Hansen and the story that he dropped um, again just 24 to 48 hours ago as we record this. Ben Hansen is a known researcher uh, on uh, several channels including discovery one of his big ones um and very good looking guy as well you know fair fair play that's that's a face for TV like <laughs> is, not... is that what you came away with
1: very absolutely
0: <laughs> you know when people are very nice and say things like oh in years you'll be the face of disclosure and it's like absolutely not not this face um <laughs> I'll be a talking head in the background I think um <laughs> of one of many but a, a very interesting video surfaced online I thought Ben presented it really well too to put it out there in a 32 minute long YouTube video again link in the description check it out and basically a retired f-18 pilot was flying over the channel islands and if you're in the uk that's not the channel islands that we know it's the santa barbara channel islands and basically it's a conversation between him flying a a civilian aircraft at forty seven thousand feet and going back and forward with air traffic control describing three lights first circling above him and again, it's hard as Ben Hansen, who's very notably, given his background and what he's worked in, he kind of has a good idea of what he's talking about in terms of how to identify objects in, in different conditions. And as with this pilot, and he mentions the pilot at 47,000 feet estimated the crafts to be five to 10,000 feet above him and circling each other. They weren't appearing on radar. Air traffic control couldn't see them. Really interestingly two other commercial aircraft apparently did see these objects but chose not to report them over radio uh and i've got a note here saying isn't that always the way that many commercial pilots just don't want the hassle of essentially reporting a ufo because it's still no doubt stigmatized in that area although many we here do see them i have family who have air traffic control backgrounds and again yes they are reported um and it's, it's disappointing, I suppose, that they don't. But I can see why a serious pilot on on several hundred thousand pounds and dollars a year working their way through the ranks, you know, just wants to get on with their job and would rather not end up on Fox News or TMZ or or an article like this with their voice over the radio and being questioned about it because maybe they don't have an interest in it. Um, Dan, what are your initial thoughts on this? And then we can
1: talk a bit more about the, the videos that accompanied as well. Yeah, for sure. So, so initially the, the other pilots not reporting it kind of brought to mind Kurt Russell and the Phoenix lights where he experienced them, but actually he didn't kind of acknowledge that until years and years later when he saw it on TV and he was like, oh yeah, I was in that plane. And that's really strange that he kind of forgot that. Uh, but it seems that there's kind of a cognitive process that happens with experiences. So the other two pilots could have experienced something similar. Um, but you know, years ago we wouldn't have had a report from any of the pilots. Whereas now I think this is a really encouraging sign that the uh, the stigma is lessening and Ben didn't need to go through the FOIA process to get this data. He just had it available and, and people are willing to talk about it now. This is the direction we wanted everything to go. So whether it's prosaic or whether it's not, doesn't really matter. The fact is, we need to be talking about these things so that we can solve them.
0: With this, we do get a video accompanying it. Um, the video itself is very unspectacular because you can't actually see anything on the video than if i'm correct of what the pilot is describing what you see in the video is um some stars and to the left hand side of the video and me being very technically limited with this sort of stuff but even i've had this conversation with you before and i brought it up to you and chatting privately it looks like the infrared sensors on the camera that are reflecting yeah. on the the glass rather than those flashing lights being an anomalous object um, so what is actually being described isn't being picked up by the video. It's just an iPhone, uh, and Ben Hansen himself says that. Um, so I think that'll probably hopefully be cleared up in the coming days, that the actual video itself isn't actually any use other than confirming location where Ben Hansen shows that because of the lights and the pattern on the ground, we can tell that about X distance from this part of downtown Los Angeles, for example, uh, is kind of what he says. So it, the actual video, though, doesn't really help however the corroborating data around it including the testimony we've got the exact location um it's it's pretty interesting and it's one of those where if we could get the quality of video we had from the the drive article along with the quality of data we had from this incident you'd probably have a much more rounded and better case and it's just always
1: we never quite get that hand in hand do we of both no exactly We, we tend to have like radar or video or testimony, uh, and really, we want more than that kind of single source, uh, single source data uh, for the cases. What What I really liked about this is that when Ben was presenting, he went through the prosaic stuff. You know, he checked the flights, he found the flights that would be in the area, and that gave him a number of leads for the investigation. But it also when, whenever people send me videos of lights in the sky my first question is did you check for satellites did you check for planes because these things look weird sometimes in the sky and we never quite know what we're looking at and and unless someone's done that i tend you know to to just kind of switch off to it because you know they they're the very basic things so I really love that Ben took that approach. And yeah, you're right. It's unfortunate that the video doesn't really show much. It's just the infrared flood illuminators for the autofocus in our phones. Um, but hey, a lot of people have learned about that now, and we won't be tricked by that again. But what what I would emphasize is that folk like, you know, Mr. West, he he identified that the, it was the, the autofocus lights, mm-hmm. and that's fine, but you can't discount the testimony from multiple data sources and and everything thats said about the event obviously something happened it's just not in the video and who knows we might get the source video and be able to up the exposure on it and see something actually in the distance but mm-hmm. until we get that raw data the you know the the video that we have isn't much use uh, but it does tell us that the pilot took it seriously and tried to capture the data to report it which is yeah, yeah better than we used to be right
0: yeah. And as Ben Hansen presents this and, and comes across really well in how he presents the data and talks about it, he said he was still getting calls at that point. He was still talking to witnesses, others who are involved, and in potentially trying to get more people to come forward who may have seen these or have additional data. So hopefully in the coming days, because there's not really been many updates since, but it has literally just been the last 24, 48 hours, yeah. both of these cases dropped online. So re- really happy with those. But again, it's just like more data would be fantastic to either eliminate what. What these may or may not be. I think the the first with the war zone one more, on, more than likely seems to be drones, man-made drones, and it's just a military thing. But secondary, this, this Ben Hansen incident, just given the height those drones are at, he talks about the types of aircraft that would normally operate at those heights, and that I think what was really interesting in thinking back to having watched Top Gun Maverick recently, fantastic movie if you haven't seen it,
1: people have to go and see it. Um even if you don't like the first one or don't like Tom Cruise. Can, go can and we see. mix Tom Cruise? Uh sorry, can we mix Top Gun and nope, maybe and get a movie something like that. That would be good. That'd be good, right? Probably Independence Day. Um, (laughs) Yeah,
0: true. Um, The school holidays have arrived in my household, and Let's Make Art, a new podcast sponsor, has been a real smash hit. Their custom art boxes have gone down a treat with not only the little, but the big kids in my house as well. Whether it's a miserable day and you're stuck indoors, or you want to just have a chill day at home but enjoy the sun outside, there really is a custom art box for you. Anyone can have an art supplies delivered right to their door in the form of monthly subscriptions, project kits, and supplies for a variety of different activities. Whether like me, you're a total beginner, an absolute amateur, or you've mastered the arts, the supplies, and tutorials in each art box, they are designed to encourage, support, and enhance your experience with art. Go to letsmakeart.com and start your next art project today, and be sure to use promo code ufo art in the checkout and you will save 20% off your order. That's a huge 20% off. I've posted my special link in the show notes so you can go to zen.ai forward slash ufo art for 20% off and thank you to Let's Make Art for sponsoring this episode. But the Ben Hansen incident, he talks about how the aircraft that would operate at an altitude of around 60,000 feet, he names them and he knows them far better than I would. And he says they normally have turning circles that can be state wide because of the speeds they're expected to operate and fly at. Yeah. So the the way these objects are being described as moving around each other as they fly along, he said, just aren't normal. And he does, he does also clear up that no off-the-shelf drones would be doing that, not to say there aren't military craft. But again, why would they be at that height? Why would they be where they were? Um, it wasn't a military exercise. It was just a retired pilot who was out flying a civilian aircraft that happened to catch these. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, and I look forward to seeing kind of more from that from Ben Hansen, hopefully in the coming days as well.
1: Yeah, and, and there's a good chance that we might hear more when the UAP uh uap task force the arrow report comes out on halloween uh because ben was given the number of someone in dc he didn't know he was talking who he was talking to but i assume it was you know possibly dr sean kirkpatrick uh head of arrow or maybe moultrie or someone like that you know so someone with a bit of authority to check radar tapes check satellites and really drill down on this Yeah, 100%. So keep your eyes out on that one, folks. And if anything more
0: comes up, we'll we'll see it being reposted, retweeted and everything on social media. But do check out the links in the description. Again, recently, the debrief was back talking UFOs and really interesting uh, report from Ukraine where an independent study has revealed in observations of unidentified aerial phenomena and this was a research team at the main astronomical observatory of ukraine and um, within a study have collected imagery of several uap one of those is pictured within the article as well itself um, i think what stands out to most people here dan was the, the naming of these as cosmics and phantoms and i've got a little blurb here just to read on those it was noted that cosmics are luminous objects brighter than the background of the sky. The authors write that noting three subcategories of cosmic, each named after various birds, swift, falcon, and eagle, whereas phantoms are dark objects with contrast from several to about 50%. Um, I want to ask you, firstly, your, your thoughts on this. And are we looking here at a natural phenomena being observed, something man-made, or something in between slash something
1: else? That... I mean, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? All all we can start doing is kind of like Project Galileo is doing, is looking at the sky properly, tracking what's there and seeing if we can find something. This is the first study to say, "Okay, we started looking for UAP and actually we have found something to the point that we're able to start categorizing these things now. Hopefully, because there there are meteor tracking networks all over the world. You know, in the UK we have them independently run. There's a really robust one in Australia, NASA run one, because uh, it's really super important to to see when the meteors are going to fall. If we can pick up UAP with these things, we don't need special equipment. We can just add a little bit of identification software to the networks that are already there, and then we're not just looking at you know one set of data from Ukraine. We're looking at worldwide watching the skies and identifying these Cosmics and Phantoms and who knows what other things we might find. But they, they seem to be a consistent, repeatable, transient phenomena. Uh, they're definable enough that we can put them into categories. And they, this is where we start moving from that UAP moniker to other monikers. You know, The more we see them, the more we kind of define what they are and the characteristics of them they'll start becoming a lot less mysterious to us. And and like I said before, we can kind of see then who lives in that information gap and who's actually after a resolution to this mystery. But as we go along, we're going to find a lot of different natural phenomena that we didn't know existed, uh, as well as uh, identifying the more intriguing things. For now, I would refrain from saying whether they're you know, UFOs in the truest sense or whether they're something just natural happening. Uh, it, it needs more study, but it's certainly intriguing and, and we can certainly take this forward. I, I spent the week after this dropped emailing a lot of different uh, meteor tracking networks across the world because it'd be great to connect them and just say, hey, you just got to plug this little bit into your software and if anything shows up, it'll be defined and yeah, shared with the rest of the scientific community. That, that's what we need to do to move forward. Do you think it's a little bit like at the moment we're
0: categorizing all UFOs as just that, just like UFOs, the way looking at the sea and calling everything in it a fish? <laughs> yeah. But then as you get to know them and realize there's lots of different types and they've got different functions and different pecking order, that, oh, actually these are this type and these are this type and we've got this. And before you know it, you've got whales and starfish and, you know tuna and all these other different varieties that you wouldn't just go it's just a fish and that's what we're doing just now with ufos there's something we don't know what it is it's unexplained but as we get to know it and this, like you say is the first step where an independent observatory has observed something and people like to argue generally that why aren't we seeing all these ufos you know we we weren't really looking that's not what we were looking for just because a telescope is pointed at the sky doesn't mean it's looking for ufos and the same with anyone else out there with a smartphone. Why aren't all these people taking pictures of UFOs? Well, most of them aren't looking because they're looking down on Facebook or Twitter or yeah. Instagram. You know, get off social media and have a look up at the sky and maybe you'll see something else, see something more. And and maybe that's the first step where more observatories like this go, actually, we've had a look and found something interesting. And that's where they can get more funding and they can continue to study and they can look further. Because without that extra funding and time and, and resources, they're not going to be able to
1: expand and get better data, are they? No, and and that's the wonderful thing about this. You know, there's a paper there that people can read. They can take the work. They can try it out. And the fact of the matter is some of these things are moving in excess of 30,000 miles per hour. So whatever is there, you know, when, when we take a picture with our smartphone, it tends to do a long exposure of, say, 3, 10 seconds, maybe more. And then it'll kind of scrub out the things that aren't, in front of it for that entire duration. So if something moves through the frame at 33,000 miles per hour and it's only there for a split second, your phone's not going to keep that in the picture. It's going to scrub it out. So we kind of need all of these tracking stations to just open up their aperture a bit on what they're looking at and to define these really fast transient events so that we can see, you know, the the quote from the paper is that they saw flights of single, group and squadrons of the ships squadrons that's really intriguing squadrons of ships traveling at thirty thousand miles per hour uh it's great to see scientists looking at this and and i can only encourage uh anyone listening if you work at a meteor tracking station let's let's help them out let's get in touch with them and and adapt this worldwide are are there still and i just had to double check there so anyone
0: watching on youtube apologies i looked like i was on my phone because i was i was trying to remember though back when i interviewed steve mcdaniel from skyhub Sure. Um, I kept wanting to call it Starlink, knowing that's not the right thing. Um, <laughs> but Skyhub obviously was was a startup that was those guys investing their own money and time, and they were putting all that online. Is, is something like Skyhub still available for people to try? Or yeah, I think, was it the Vault or Scout was coming from two of the stars at one point? where people are going to be able to track on mass uaps what can people do now though on their own time our own money our own budget i get it's a very difficult
1: time financially for the world but can folks still do that and get involved yeah so sky hub has gone away but a bunch of people picked it up richard g hopf and, and a load of other people picked it up uh, it's now called sky 360 so you can buy hubs from them that will point at the sky and track them uh, but these media networks—they—they they literally have the kit already set up. All you need is a webcam and point it at the sky. You know, uh, so you could, at the very least, do that. Just get it, get yourself a decent webcam, pour it in your bedroom window, pointing at the sky all the time, and, and see what you can see. Cool. Yeah, just really interesting. When, and like you say,
0: we've got a lot of those resources out there, and it doesn't have to be government. But all these other observatories and facilities—if they just work together a little bit on this one topic maybe they could make some progress and that goes for many things in medicine and and cancer treatments and all that kind of stuff as well that a lot of it is just people not working together which is sad um some quick talking points to go through dan because there was a lot of stuff like i say we're not going to spend hours talking about these things but definitely some noteworthy points for me um james fox was on the concrete podcast that's k-o-n-c-r ete um, link in the description it was a three hour long conversation um, really good one a really good overview of James's early work a lot of it is covered on his various interviews he's done in the past but given this is his most recent and uh, most relevant it covers some of Moment of Contact as well I suggest people check that one out um, he talks about the videos that people have one part I found particularly interesting was talking about the videos that people have seen that haven't been released whether that's within briefings or congressmen. And there was nothing new in this because that's talked about often, but I get the feeling with someone like James Fox, he has a bit of a twinkle in his eye when he has those discussions. And I think James has seen some of that stuff that he shouldn't have seen. And that's why
1: he talks about it so passionately. Yeah, for sure. I I would agree. And... Even even at a lower level, you know, you, you spoke about Chuck, the Chuck Clark UFO video a little while back, and that sounds fantastic. And he's seen that. Can video. you just remind folks what that is? Just yeah, for people sure. Listening to this might not be aware. So the Chuck Clark video uh, is supposedly a UFO video where a bunch of people are on a road trip. They're inside the car. Uh, they they see a saucer from uh, inside the car, and they kind of shoot in pointing outside. They try and hide from it. They get really scared. Then at one point, someone gets out of the car steps back from it and they're still filming the scene and you can see this this saucer kind of, it's described as almost like it's bobbing on the ocean, you know, uh, just over the car, very kind of magma surface look to it. And yeah, this this video is just out there and, and supposedly the guy that has it just won't let it go for a lot of money. Uh, hopefully we'll see it one day, but it sounds spectacular. And if it's a real video, it would be wonderful to have it out so people could analyze it. But James has seen stuff like that so you got to wonder what he's seen that he doesn't speak about, right? Hundred percent, yeah. So people should definitely check that one out. And James Fox, uh,
0: Moment of Contact, is due out, I think, October, and he's looking to to do interviews round about then as well. So James will no doubt be back on the podcast uh, round about October to discuss the Moment of Contact, and I look we forward can to to seeing that.
1: Make make a note that we should ask him what the the best video that he hasn't spoken about yet is. Yeah, definitely. Um
0: making a mental note as we speak then but yeah that's a good <laughs> question any other questions for james fox feel free to send them in now because he will be coming on the podcast in october i'm being coy but he literally texts me as we we're recording this saying october so yeah um just by pure chance about a couple of minutes ago but yeah i'm um, sending it and just put in the email james fox and i'll find it when the time comes um senator gillibrand was in uh, new york city at some kind of town hall meeting discussing all kinds of of issues and uh, on twitter at disclosure with appeared in person to, to ask senator gillibrand firstly thanking her for her efforts with uap on behalf of everyone um but also asking some questions he said to her on stage you know she mentioned that they had difficulties getting the resources and files that they were trying to get which they should have access to still. Um, but they aren't letting the subject go, Dan, was very much the the call, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, just props to uh to Ozzy, the guy that spoke to Senator Gillibrand. He was super professional when he approached yeah. her. And I'd recommend everyone watch that video because you see exactly the approach you need when you speak to officials. You know, he didn't run up and open with his experience first or his personal pet theory. He just kind of kept it, you know, on that on that balance beam and just engaged in a really really professional manner so props to Ozzy for that uh, yeah it, it was interesting hearing her talk about uh, you know materials came up uh, that was kind of a vague point people have been discussing whether she she responded that they have materials or not um, but yeah they emphasised that uh, who I assume was Doctor Sean Kirkpatrick the head of Arrow was having issues accessing the historical stuff and it's great that she's talking about that because there's language in the legislation that passed last year, that anyone who's not playing ball gets named and shamed in these reports that are coming out. And there are four reports a year and several briefings as well. We only see one public report year, so I'm not sure if they'll be named and shamed in our report. But at the very least, her talking openly about this means that we're going to be able to start pointing fingers soon at the people who aren't playing ball and allowing us to progress with this issue. So I, I was really encouraged by the way that she spoke about that. Yeah, some more good reporting came from Chris
0: Sharp at Liberation Times. You'll be very familiar with Chris Sharp. If not, check him out online or at Liberation Times site. Um, an article on Lou Elizondo and Chris Sharp got confirmation from Susan Goff that Lou Elizondo was working with the Space Force. And um, I think some people knew this or assumed this already that Lou had some kind of involvement. Um, But what it did cause was a bit of debate as to how Lou could be doing this when the Pentagon have pushed back so often on his involvement in other roles. For me, it doesn't really clear anything up or change anything as to to whether Lou did or didn't work where he said he did with ATIP. I can see why it's caused debate on both sides of the fence. But Dan, what, what are your thoughts on this? One, that Lou Elizondo is working with Space Force. And two, does it change anything for you in terms of, clearing up what his previous roles were. Since I began the podcast I've spoken to listeners from all walks of life. One of those that comes up quite regularly are doctors and physicians. If you're one of those looking for a change then consider locum tenens. Whether you're burned out need a change of pace or are just looking to supplement your income locum tenens may be the solution for you. LocumStory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply a resource for information. You'll find super handy tools that let you see Locum's trends for your speciality, compare different Locum's agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if Locum's is right for you. It's a win-win. If this sounds like a completely free resource you could use, then please use podcast link zen.ai forward slash pod. that's the number two that's zen.ai forward slash that ufo pod two to let them know that that ufo
1: podcast sent you it almost does for for me it it poses the questions to the the skeptics or the the super skeptics the cynical skeptics we'll say the debunkers um like you say, it's been rumored for a while that he works at Space Force. Susan Garth said that he works at Space Force on classified projects. You could almost hear the pain that she took when she, she said that. Um, but it begs the question, how would Lou have access to these classified programs? How would he be keeping his clearance if he'd been lying about everything that he'd been speaking about? So it certainly makes uh, uh, or shows up his side of the story. But questions remain in terms of, you know, whether eight, it was an official program so on and so forth uh but yeah you know bottom line is they probably wouldn't be employing him to work on classified projects if he'd have been lying about his work in the past
0: yeah and that that was the big one for me that it doesn't necessarily show that they're happy now that he did work there but i think for some of us it's i've made no secret i have no reason to believe that he didn't work there you know senator harry reid confirmed he was a sponsor of the program and We've gone into this before about the semantics of the wording and the language and it can be used to play both sides. And for me, it just kind of starts to get a little bit dull. But I get why it can be really, really obvious or or painful for people to not have that all cleared up. Um, But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And it's very much, it's not like me going along and applying for a role at Space Force and making up what I've done beforehand and getting the job. I very much doubt that's what's happened here. Um, But yeah, it it clearly shows us a, a request, a requirement for for his knowledge and his his expertise as such. And yeah, I look forward to seeing what kind of comes from that. And I can't see it being a bad thing that, that Lou's working for Space Force. Yeah, um same. And it, 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 I was going to say, he's got a family. That...
1: He's got a family. He needs to work. He needs to pay bills and has a home and everything else. So fair enough. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It, it suggests that Space Force are possibly be doing work on UAP as well. Uh, and they'd be very well suited to do that. They're, you know, the the future kind of holders of the the domain that we refer to as as space. So yeah, how how far that comes to the Earth's surface and things like that is up for debate. But certainly NASA kind of in a recent kind of town hall conference said that they're, they're starting to fund projects that are a little bit closer to the surface of the Earth now, which is great because they're going to be looking for UAP too under the surface of the earth ah
0: Mm. Mm. that's for another (laughs) another day another show um staying with the uk theme quickly before we move on to to back to the us um the guardian newspaper printed an article on uk freedom of information files corruption dan there was a little bit on this wasn't there and famously as you mentioned to me before we started recording in the uk one, we tend to be much better at keeping these kind of secrets, or involvement in, in the UFO topic, especially. But also, we're very famous for having politicians leaving top secret papers on trains and buses, um, and those get those being kind of found by members of the public. So uh, it goes hand in hand. But what was the article from the Guardian
1: all about? Yeah, so so basically, the the Cabinet Office clearinghouse, which circulates. Uh, kind of details of freedom of information requests by journalists, campaigners, and others around Whitehall. Uh, They also advise on how to respond to them. That office or that clearinghouse is about to be replaced by a freedom of information center of excellence, they call it. Um, It said that the clearinghouse should provide guidance and advice for uncommon, complex, and national security-related FOI cases only, which, for me, flags up the UAP issue because we're talking national security. A number of the, the old office was taken to court a number of times over the past few years. Uh, there, there was a scandal where open Democracy sued the government for, uh, it was to do with the NHS and contaminated blood. And they the office basically said that the release needs to be managed, whereas FOI, and it's the same in America, you know, the, the F- Freedom of Information Act they're meant to be independent bodies. They're not meant to be talking and negotiating how to release things. Uh, They're meant to just release the data and that's it. So hopefully we're gonna get closer to the US model where the data is actually released and it isn't judged beforehand. Uh, The US actually as well is kind of having a review, especially of the, the UAP stuff. They're trying to get a independent body to be the declassification arm as opposed to a body within the government doing that. So yeah, hope, hopefully both of those things happening at the same time means something for the UAP subjects, and we just start hearing more. I know a number of us from UAP Media UK have put in freedom of information requests about the Calvin image. We've had various different responses to those from local MPs, but so far the MOD and the National Archives are just not saying anything. So if we could have a you know a Freedom of Information Centre of Excellence then hopefully we would get a better response and a more timely response on these matters. I'm always wary of things just being repackaged as,
0: you know, uh, it's a centre of excellence now, and it's like for any Alan Partridge fans out there, I know there's a few <laughs> you know, it's the Skoda, they've rebadged it, you fool and it's the same the same vehicle under a different name, so we'll, we'll yeah. see, but that, you know, if it's an opportunity at least for, for progress or change, we have to take that, don't we, especially in yeah. the, the UK when we're so far behind any kind of political transparency, which, which some people especially in the States, maybe don't appreciate how much they get in terms of transparency already, just when with people like Warner, Rubio, Gillibrand, and, and co. talking about the subject, let alone you know what what we have in the UK, where we hear there are some politicians, but they keep it very much privately to themselves who are interested in the UFO subject. Um, Dan, uh, Jim semivan was on Calling All Beings podcast. It got rave reviews. People were very impressed. Uh, John Ramirez, former CIA, turned up as a guest co-host on there as well. And yeah, I suggest people go and check that one out. I'm not going to sit and run through someone else's show and everything they've done on it, but um, well done to DJ and co on what was apparently a very, very well done interview. Um, Jim Semivan is on this podcast, I, had to, I forgot there, this podcast, in about three or four weeks. So we'll we'll call out for questions on that. A few have been sent over already, but feel free to send them over now. Uh, and he seems to be opening up a little bit more to doing some interviews, which is great. And it would be nice if his colleague Tom DeLonge would, would do similar for the UFO subject that he has been so keen on in getting involved in now for so many years. Uh, it would be good to hear him on a a ufo platform discussing the ufo issue at, at length again as he's not really
1: done that for quite a while properly just on ufos um yeah but yeah fingers fingers crossed that tom is going to get a bit more conversational when monsters of california comes out uh because you know we we the ufo community is very much an active audience for that so i mean it's, it's a big know, he, he audience for that <laughs> yeah it's it's a big part of the audience for that. So, and let's be
0: fair, we're going to go and see it anyway. We're not holding Tom long hostage here, are we? Dan, you know, precisely. We're to see it. Exactly. I imagine it's going to be video on demand. I just got a sneaky feeling, especially here in the UK, um it'll get maybe a limited release in some theaters, but most likely video on demand.
1: The way it's sounding at the minute. But yeah, hopefully, I'd love to sure. see it in a cinema. Alas, nope. The- um, so, something to touch on from that interview, and it's yes. uh, you know if you've watched any interviews with uh, James Ian Doley on his channel when Semi Van was on there, and the same with Peter Lavender as well, they they speak a lot about gin, and I just wanted to touch on that idea because it keeps coming up, and it's something that I'm intrigued by, but. Spill it. Um, uh, so you can spell it in a number of different ways. Uh, I tend to go for the D J I N N, uh also J I N N Genie, basically. That's what but we not know. The G-I-N, G-I-N, which is what some people might think. Yeah, of. not yeah. not the alcoholic drink. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but basically these these entities are said to be uh were created when God made angels and man. Uh he also made gin. Uh he, he, she, um, they made also made gin and referred to as made from a smokeless fire. It's very similar to, say, in humans, but just humans without a body. Think of it that way. You can have... And also, gym. can I just go back one? Yeah, You sure. say, like, God created just
0: a creator, because a you can that label of yeah, God sure. off altogether. It could have been something else altogether.
1: Yeah, for sure. When, when I say God, I generally mean the, the creative process of the universe, whatever yeah. that is, evolution, you know, whatever made the stars, that. Um so, yeah, we're, we're talking the essence of a person, but without being in a body. Uh, jinn is the plural word. Genie or genie is the singular. That's where we get our word from, genie. Uh, but mostly come from Islamic and Arabic folklore. Um, angels were made from light. Humans were made from clay. Jinn were made from the smokeless fire. Once they were thought to be gods that were dethroned, uh, which I thought was interesting because it kind of touches on, you know, Tom DeLong talks about the old gods often. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, this kind of plugs in there. Um, we're, we're talking invisible spirits. They can take on different forms like animals, humans, they can possess, but they're not demons as we talk about in the Bible. They're neither good nor bad. So when we talk about malevolent and benevolent beings, uh, they, they have a range like human beings have. You know, you can get some people that are very murderous, some people who are very kind and helpful. Similar thing here. Uh, Pre-Islamic poets were said to be influenced by jinn to write their works which again, super interesting. That's creativity, intuition, and being told by a phenomena what to write. That's basically a download, right? That's what mm-hmm. we talk about it as in UFO circles. Um, there was a character called uh, Iblis who was kind of seen as the uh, Islamic version of Satan. He, he was the, the creator of us. Um, and there are some different forms as well. You get a Jan, which is a general term for them, a jinn, which describes kind of specific tribes or families. Then you get a shaitan, which is a very evil kind of version of a jinn, uh, more like demons that we think of. Then we have something called the Ifrit, uh, which is a lot more powerful and morally ambivalent. Uh, this creature spends time in ruins and can shapeshift, so kind of very skinwalkery. Uh, and we also have a Marid. Marid is the most powerful and mostly evil. Uh, that's the one we're familiar with generally in, in Western kind of folklore. The original version of Aladdin had two jinn. Uh, one was an Ifrit and one was a married. The married was in the lamp and it's kind of the version of the genie that always takes the wish and twists it. You know, someone mm-hmm. wishes for world peace. They make everyone on earth disappear instead of making them peaceful. That okay. kind of twisted. Um, so yeah, they they're said to originate uh, Mount uh, Kaf, uh, which is a mountain that stands at the edge of the world. Uh, there's a specific famous gin as well. There are a number of them, but this one stood out for me. The uh, Aisha Kandicha. Uh, this is meant to be a beautiful woman with black hair and she has the feet of a camel. Now, I've never heard about the Marian apparitions having camel feet, but it sounds very similar in terms of the law. So it could just be another name, Uh, you know, Chris Bledsoe talks about meeting the lady all the time. We could be talking about Aisha. Uh, There's no reason why we couldn't be. They tend to be exercised or gotten rid of through music, which is just resonance, right? We're talking about that again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are so many threads here that just come straight back to us. Um, if people want to kind of read more about jinn, most of our ideas about them come from um, Arabian Nights or 1001 Nights, so kind of have a read of that. But they, there was another interesting aspect that jinns actually have religions, so you can get Catholic jinn and Islamic jinn, and they can switch religions. So very, very similar to us. Islamic scholars tend to take them as metaphors, or they take them as actual creatures, um, but they generally use to describe the word gin is used to describe any phenomena that's not detectable by our senses um, and more esoteric interpretations include seeing them as a, as a kind of human being as I've described them kind of in this little rundown, they're just us without bodies. Think of them that way. And the phenomenon could be that if anyone's watched Ms. Marvel recently gin plug in there. So that's kind of a little, you know, uh, yep. a crash course in Jinn as well. Uh, but yeah, there's the real untold story is there's a non-human intelligence living with humans on planet Earth. And Jin kind of fit a lot of the descriptors for me. You know, it, it's it's interesting that it's come up a lot through interviews and that it's on the minds of people like Sammy Van and Lavender. Uh, for me, that makes it worth reading about. So yeah, hopefully that's given people a, a little bit more background on the idea of Jin, and they can go and kind of learn a little bit more now. And follows on with the Bigelow statement about they're already here. You know, they're under our noses.
0: Yeah. And yeah, so again, folks, go check that one out, Calling All Beings. Link will be in the description. And make sure you give uh, DJ and Co a like and a subscriber as well, because they, they do really good honest work over there too. Yeah. And another channel which has kind of risen to prominence quickly, but with two huge names, Bryce Abel and Ross Coulthard, had their uh, documentary recently, which had a lot of kind of Sphere type chat on it. And, and we talked about it on the breakdown with Nathan what actually seems to have had a far more positive overwhelmingly positive reaction was their follow-up to it then where bryce and ross have basically given some context and background to the piece and maybe addressed some of the more dramatized sections and some of the parts where people were left a little bit wanting and it's given a lot more clarity and it's more well-rounded isn't it as to why that final production came out the way it did and it's a not just an accompanying piece but i think it's one that people probably have to go and look
1: at now um and it's it's probably better than what actually was produced on the seven news Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. Ross kind of characterized the seven news piece as the one for them. And the one that they've just put online is one for us. Their full interview with Gary Nolan is up as well. And yeah, I'd say that these are required viewing. There's more Ross, there's more Bryce present, less fanfare about them being released, uh, but a lot more in line with what I expected from them. Uh, You know, They always produce quality things and the sphere thing was a little strange for me, but yeah, those two pieces were, were excellent and they'll be linked down below. So Give them a watch and yeah, I, I think people will really, really enjoy them.
0: Excellent. And just to finish off with an update, Dan, on NASA scrubbing its latest launch, the Artemis shuttle was due to go, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. They so that was due to launch on the 29th of August, but it was scrubbed. It's gonna be September second now, I think um and then i guess the i got it noted that it returns on the 10th of october but that'll be delayed by a few days as well because it's uh gonna gonna be taken off late but basically this is humanity returning to the moon this isn't a manned mission but there are some dummies inside the craft that have radiation sensors on them one protected one not so they can kind of compare um and that always surprises me actually that the dummies are named helga and zohar but the idea that there's so little known about humans in space that we do things like track radiation on dummies. Uh, You you know, it's not a comfortable environment for us to be in at all. It's almost like it's just trying to kill people when they go in there. So we need our diving suits to go upwards. Uh, But yeah, the the Artemis one launch, it was scrubbed, unfortunately, and it'll be going ahead. Uh, It's the most powerful rocket NASA have ever launched. It's going to be going half a million miles to the moon and back. It'll be testing every single system that will be present on the actual crewed mission. And the idea is that it will fly to the moon, do an orbit around the moon. In terms of a a spacecraft made for manned uh, presence, it will be going the furthest into space anything ever has. Uh, And once that's in place, we will use it as kind of a docking station to the moon. We'll drop down to the surface from that, that will stay in orbit. So if all goes well, this is our first step into the cosmos and will eventually be our first step to go into Mars as well. The other thing that they have on it is uh, 10 small, they're called kind of, or they used to be called cube sats. Now they're calling them um, small sets because they're not cubed anymore, they're shoebox size. And these are little kind of uh, platforms that have their own propulsion and they're gonna nip off into space to do their own work. And it tickles me a little bit to think of, you know if you were on the surface of the moon, looking at planet earth you'd see you know the bright spark as the spacecraft takes off from earth you'd follow it and eventually it'd come and then as it got near to the moon it'd spit out these 10 little cube sets that will kind of nip off and go do their own thing and it just makes me think of some uap sightings where yeah. you know we'll see these orbs kind of split off from them and go do things uh so yeah there's this it kind of for me kind of suggests that maybe we're seeing probes of some kind but they're going to be using one of these to look at uh Midwave infrared pictures of the moon's surface so just like the james webb telescope using infrared to look into the universe shows us a whole bunch of things that we weren't aware of or couldn't see before so there's every chance that we'll see some features of the moon uh, that will lead us to some very intriguing discoveries one of the phenomenon that hopefully gets explained is called a transient kind of uh, light i want to say phenomena um where there are just flashes of light on the moon sometimes and no one really knows why you know, they, they're not alien cities up there or anything like that. They just kind of happen. So hopefully we get a little bit more information about them because they might be relevant to the the subject we're interested in. Um, but yeah, it's it's the start of a new new era of space flight for us, you know. All, all the great explorers find new worlds, but they have to come home to tell us about them as well. So <laughs> we're checking the systems and yeah, hopefully, hopefully that launch goes okay. In other astronomy news as well, we had James Webb... Announcement where astronomers have identified the first planet to have carbon dioxide on it. Mm -hmm. This is a gas giant, so it's not like there are going to be people living on the surface and stuff like that, but it is notable for being the first planet we found carbon dioxide on outside of our solar system. It detected the gas on uh, the planet's called WASP 39b, uh, and that's a gas giant that's orbiting a star about 700 light years away, which is quite a long way away. And eagle eyed people or eagle eared people might have noticed that that WASP moniker has been used before for another planet. Reason that comes up is just because uh, it stands for Wide Angle Search for Planets, and they're just numbered as they find them, basically. So a lot of planets are going to be called WASP something something. Uh, So yeah, don't look too much into that. Doesn't necessarily mean that there are signs of life on the planet, just means that there's a process that produces carbon dioxide, and that's pretty awesome.
0: Well, Dan... Awesome little roundup. Thank you for joining me for this one. I think it's a nice way to end as well on the fact that we're beginning to explore again space and the James Webb is opening up all these new discoveries. We're having to take maybe a step back to go two steps forward. You know, going back to the moon is odd given we stepped foot on it, what, 50, 60 years ago now? And we're back to testing how we can get there safely. Elon Musk and his rockets are trying to work out how we can get there more sustainably Jeff Bezos is having fun sending his mates to the space and back. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the next coming years. And does it go hand in hand, this new stage of discovery and exploration with the UFO and UAP topic? So I've always had that thought. And just to finish on that, when you start sending celebrities into space, it's much harder to keep them quiet. And if Kanye West is up there filming UFOs out, his, you know, out the mirror with his latest iPhone 14 with astronomy mode, then... Maybe that's how we end up with that ultimate disclosure Maybe it's Kanye West That is all for this week's show Thank you very much for listening Please remember to leave the podcast a review On your chosen platform You can like, retweet and subscribe That would all be very much appreciated The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube As we speak more and more You can sign up at patreon.com Forward slash thatufopodcast To access the shows ad free as well Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook Instagram thatufopodcast
1: Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a cigarette. more. Meditated game of full on meta. Can't imagine how it could have been any better. I the top of the stairs, and there he was. Like you awake, I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back, and nearly kissed myself, and then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red. And I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. And they thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And they think I should take therapy. And I don't know what to do because it doesn't really scare me.
0: Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Post-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. That's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life.